0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. What is the church supposed to look like? The book of Titus shows us what it means to be changed people living together in peace. Welcome to our sermon series, This Beautiful Church, Seeing and Being the People of God. Father, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing that of your word. I pray, Father God, that you would just cultivate our faith so that we could be faithful to you as gritty disciple makers in our city as we sit under your word, as your children and as your people. Would you have your way as we walk through this text and allow seeds to be sown and to fall on fertile soil, soil that is cultivated with meekness, that is quick to listen and slow to speak. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, greetings to you, my friends. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know me, my name is Jamal, and I am one of the pastors here at Sojourn. I have the privilege of walking through today's text and helping us to um, apply it to our lives. And uh, that's what I, I'm going to do. And we're in a series called the, This Beautiful Church. Um, and this series is us walking through the book of Titus. Last week, we looked at the first uh, five verses of the book of Titus. And this week, we're going to uh, kind of work through our way through verses 5 through 16. Last week, we looked at the theme of a beautiful confidence and how those um, who place their hope in eternal life, uh, the life in which God um, who does not lie, has promised, are those who can live out their faith uh, with confidence in the midst of a culture who, are, who is, frankly, not following Jesus Christ. And today we want to talk about uh, not just beautiful confidence, but beautiful leadership. Beautiful leadership. Paul is writing to his spiritual son, uh, Titus. And he is writing to Titus to encourage Titus to set what was left undone on the island of Crete. Crete is a beautiful Greek island um, that is filled with, with people who um, were beautiful as well as they were created in God's image. But who many were living um, ugly lives because they were not living their life Uh, in Christ, but outside of Christ. And as a result, there was a a ugly culture that had formed. Um, There was a a culture that was not godly, but instead that was godless. And so Paul is going to encourage Titus uh, to set things in order by essentially appointing elders in every town. We see that in verse five. the, The reason I left you in Crete was to set right... What was left undone. So uh, Titus and Paul at some point traveled to Crete. They started uh, these house churches, uh, but the work wasn't complete. And in the midst of the work not being complete, uh, Paul is calling Titus to uh, raise up elders. Uh, But even in the midst of them raising up elders, there were other leaders who would be raised up um, who were not godly leaders. So Paul is encouraging uh, Titus in two ways. Uh, One, he's going to encourage him to set up elders and he's going to show them what an elder is or who an elder should be. But second. We're going to see that Paul is going to also encourage Titus uh, to be able to discern uh, what an elder is not. What an elder is not. Leadership is important. And we know that leadership is important. Um, We know this outside of the church. Uh, You all know and experience, many of you, bad leadership at uh, places of work. I experienced in my first job, I worked at Wendy's. Um, in Illinois and and my first job was horrendous. It was led uh, by two managers that were bad leaders. I was 16 years old and I knew immediately that it was bad leadership and I quit. I walked out in the middle of a shift right when they needed me most. I was being petty and I was petty, amen. But the leadership was so bad, I timed it perfectly. It was a holiday too. And I waited right till they needed me as the grill boy and I was like, I'm out, all right? My father rebuked me when I got home. Amen. Uh, But but bad leadership, we've all have sat and been under bad leadership. And where there's bad leadership, there's the people. People are not going to flourish. Right. But um, also, we know when good leadership is in place, people will flourish. And in general, organization does not uh, exceed uh, the level of its leadership. In the same way, the church of Jesus Christ and local churches will not exceed or flourish beyond that of their leaders. So Paul is going to be very serious and put some hard words down on what an elder should be. Now, when we see the word elder in the scripture, we must know that the word elder is uh, interchangeable with other words throughout the New Testament. Uh, Words like pastor. Uh, We see that Paul is going to use uh, multiple times here in Titus the word overseer. Uh, some translations we see the word bishop, but it's all speaking to a specific office that is uh, held in the New Testament church, one of two offices. The other office is that of a deacon. And in essence, a elder is a, a mature Christian who is responsible for shepherding the people of God and managing the affairs of the church. He is a man who internally has, is doing the work and, and continues to do the work of abiding in Jesus. He is a man of integrity. He is a man who is blameless, we're going to see, um, to those outside of his community. And he's a man who's leading also his family well. And so we see in verse 5, Paul says, appoint elders, not just one elder, elders, a plurality of elders, a plurality of godly men of character who was following Jesus and adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, through their words and their deeds in every town. And let's look at what an elder is going to be. We're going to simply walk through this text today and then give two applications, point of applications at the end. Verse 6, an elder must be blameless. Now, that word blameless is not the word perfect, right? Because there is only one uh, human being who has ever lived and was perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, Jesus is our mediator, not your elder, not not a pastor. It's uh, Jesus, uh, but this word uh, blameless we know is not perfect because Paul himself was not perfect. Paul told uh, Timothy that uh, he was the chief among sinners. We also see the apostles who were responsible for uh, leading the early church and who set doctrine, who spent time with Jesus. They were not perfect. They were sinners. we even see in Galatians chapter two, two elders are going to get into it. We see in the book of Acts, Peter is going to uh, get into it with with another servant, John Mark. So they're not perfect, but they are blameless. And by blameless, what Paul means is, is that uh, they are above reproach. That there is no scandal, credible scandal, that is to be associated with that person. That this person is a person of integrity who has proven himself over time to be trustworthy. And even as we look at the word elder, it infers someone who is not a new convert, as Paul teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but someone who has been walking with Jesus for a good amount of time. And then he's going to go and talk about how this blamelessness um, is not something that just happens uh, externally or is experienced when the person is at church, okay? Um, This blamelessness, this way of life can be Affirmed and should be confirmed first and foremost by those who are closest to him. Paul says that he is the husband of one wife. I don't mean, think that Paul means that he has only been married once, right? He's not excluding a, a pastor whose wife may have, may have passed or uh, who has gotten a a divorce maybe before they were a Christian or um, if they were a Christian in a way that would be dishonoring to God. I think what Paul means here is that he is a one woman man. A person who is qualified to lead Christ's church is a person who another husband in the church doesn't have to be nervous about because that person, the elder, is talking to his wife. He's not flirtatious. He doesn't have another mistress. (laughs) In fact, he's not even married to the church. I've heard amongst some clergy that they have two wives. One wife is their physical wife and the other wife is their church. Well, according to Paul, that's unbiblical. Uh, The church is already married. She's married to one whose name is Jesus. (laughs) And so if a pastor is saying that he's also married to the church, he's not walking a step with his qualifications. His wife feels, Ephesians chapter 5, cherished, seen, loved. And here at Sojourner, you should want your elders' wives to be some of the happiest people you know because it is a sign that he is leading from the inside out. Paul goes on to say, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. Now, this verse has been used and uh, to really put a burden on pastor's kids. And many of you have heard of cultures in which pastor's kids are held to a, 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 a standard of living, uh, that maybe Paul intended for, just for, for, for pastors and mature Christians. Uh, Paul, when he points out that an elder's kid, uh, children must be faithful. I don't believe that he's saying that the elder's children, first and foremost, in order to be an elder, they must be Christians. Because even a pastor can't, con- can't, can't control if his child comes to know Jesus. But what he can do is set an atmosphere at home where Jesus is taught and lived out beautifully um, amongst and before his children. And in general, when an elder is living out the gospel in a healthy way in his home, his children will be faithful to what he teaches. In fact, the word here, children, in the original uh, language is most commonly associated or used uh, with young children. Right? And in general, while all uh, young children have uh, tantrums and um, are, you know, at that age, as we all were, uh, self centered and want what they want, in general, uh, they are faithful to what their parents um, are teaching them and to the direction in which their parents are living. So they're not just wild or rebellious as a result of their father's lack of attention and lack of love, but rather their father is living in such a way that encourages them to be faithful kids. Verse seven, as an overseer, a manager of God's household, again, he must be blameless. Paul uses the same term in uh, 1 Timothy chapter three, when speaking of an elder or overseer, he talks about how elders are, are managers of God's household. And he asked the question, how can someone manage God's household if they can't manage their own? And so, again, he stresses that he is blameless, meaning that there is no credible uh, uh, thing that can be said that would discredit their life. And then Paul goes and and shares some things that's that's pretty self-explanatory. He says he's not arrogant. So he's not a prideful man. Right. He's not a man who uh, is unable to take rebuke or to listen to others. It's not his way or the highway. He's not hot-tempered. Uh, literally, he doesn't go around striking people. <laughs> He's not one who starts physical fights. When I was younger, I was a 23-year-old man. I was a, a part of a church, on staff at a church, and, um, and the pastor got into a, a, a fisticuff with another associate pastor in front of everybody, right? Um, a couple of months later, he was no longer working at the church, right? But they squared up in front of the church with a disagreement. Paul is saying an elder is not that type of person. He's not trying to Mike Tyson you, right? Not an excessive drinker, not a bully. If you've ever watched the movie Friday, he's not Debo, right? Not greedy for money. You don't get a sense that he's in the ministry to become wealthy. He's not constantly promoting himself in order to fatten his pocketbooks. But notice what he is. He gives us a picture, a beautiful picture here of beautiful leadership, but he's hospitable. A shepherd is one who likes to be around sheep or should like to be around sheep. And a pastor needs to be a person who likes to be around people. Now, there is a trend in American evangelicalism and Protestant religion where the people that we commend for being shepherds are the most charismatic, well-spoken people. And when we look at what Paul lays out for us here in this text, that is not a qualification of an elder. It's not to be the most intelligent person. It's not to be the most charismatic person. It's not to be a person who just wows you with their speech, right? A pastor, first and foremost, is a person of character and who has a welcoming presence. They're a person who has been saved by Jesus. They're a person who has has experienced the love of Christ themselves. They're a person who's been formed in the presence of Jesus in such a way that those who are following them want to be more like Jesus because they see this mature Christian abiding in Jesus and living in the spirit. And we need to be careful as members of the church to make sure that we are not simply Uh, setting our eyes and and following people who have a big platform because they're charismatic or they know how to uh, type up words that inspire us. The question is, what is their character? I've seen so many churches and know so many people who are part of churches where the pastor has no very little credibility in the community, has had multiple affairs, I will not spend time with members, even after a service. And when they do spend time with them, there's an air about them of absolute arrogance. And you feel like you're in the presence of a king rather than a shepherd. I remember when I first moved to Louisville, I went and visited a church of a person that I just really thought was an incredible speaker. Someone introduced me to the pastor afterwards and the person was so just the 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 air that they gave off was so discouraging me to a pastor I said, Lord, please, Lord, um, form me in such a way where that is not my presence, and we all can have bad moments. Something could have been on his mouth, but that's that's kind of this person's reputation. Those who are speaking into our life, those who are setting doctrine um for us those those whom we should be following after as they follow after Jesus. I need to be people of character who are hospitable, who love what is good, who are sensible, right? They're not taking you down a road or ranting on a Sunday morning about some conspiracy theory or some version of of politics or a political party that they feel um, is ushering in the kingdom of God. No, they're giving you Jesus week in and week out, not seeking to entertain you, but putting before you a a way of life um, that points us to the one who lived life so beautifully, so perfectly, so inspiringly. And he did this not from a seat, first and foremost, of king, though he was king, but as a servant, washing people's feet, Spending time with the poor and the marginalized and the distressed. Teaching a way of life that was totally counter uh, the life in which other leaders in his society um, were living. This is beautiful leadership. It's not the person who barks orders at others. It's not the person who makes you feel small when you're in their presence. It's not the person who's feeding off you because they need your affirmation and who's afraid of you uh, uh, because they want to be approved by you. But it's the person who, by God's grace, is spending time with Jesus and has spent time with Jesus. And it shows not because they have to force it, but because it just oozes out of them. And most Men and, and, and women who are, are gifted and, and leading and abiding in Jesus, uh, that's not something that they necessarily feel. It's not something that they feel themselves. But, but in their weakness, they know that Christ is being made strong. An elder, he says, is righteous, holy, set apart, and self-controlled. Now, verse 9 is really important. He says, holding to the faithful messages taught. This person is not changing his doctrine to remain popular. When a culture shifts a certain way, they shift a certain way. But he's simply a mailman. (laughs) He's delivering what God has given him in the way that God has given it for God's people so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching. He's encouraging people as he teaches, even hard things, Paul says. Uh, Elder is called to teach. He's also called to rebuke, but he's doing it in a way that's encouraging, not belittling and not shaming in a way that reminds people of who they are in Christ, that they have been saved by grace through faith, that they are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people. That you are forgiven, that you are accepted, that you are enough in Christ Jesus, that you have been saved with a particular purpose and called to live out a specific uh, good works that were set out before the foundation of the world. So even in their rebuke, there is an encouragement that in Christ, you can go on. But the elder not only encourages with sound teaching, but he spends his time refuting those who contradict it. And that's what Paul is going to model here in verse 10 through 16. As the church at Crete, where there was a vacuum of elders, are being shepherded by a group we see in verse 10 that he's going to call the circumcision party. And the circumcision party has been a thorn in Paul's flesh pretty much since the beginning of his ministry. And they were at minimum teaching um, that in order to truly be accepted by God, um, one had to be circumcised. And so it's likely that they were saying it was Jesus plus circumcision. And also we see that they're teaching Jewish myths, which was probably myths that were built off of Old Testament teachings. And as we look at verse 15, it is likely that they're also teaching that one can be defiled by what they eat. Even though we learn in the book of Acts and we see in the New Testament that the new covenant people of God uh, were not to be defined uh, by their diet. But rather they are made pure by placing their hope and trust in Jesus Christ as their perfect savior. And Paul here is going to have a really hard rebuke for them. He's going to call them some, some tough names here. Verse, verse 10, he calls them rebellious. They are rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. We see uh, later on uh, in verse Twelve, he says, one of their very own prophets said, "Credens are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And even though these uh, people of the circumcision party is uh, offering more in legalism than this kind of uh, wild way of living, in the same way they're, they're not being truthful and they're, they're a gluttony of and for control. And so even though they think that they are living separate lives than those who are in Crete, who are not following Jesus, their lives actually are modeled more after the Cretans than after Christ because they are controlling people with deception and they are making it hard to get to Jesus by saying that salvation comes another way. And so Paul in verse 15 uh, calls them defiled both in their mind and conscience, goes on to call them detestable, disobedient, and unfit for every good work. Now, why is Paul using such hard language towards these false teachers? Well, for a couple of reasons. One is that those who are teachers, James chapter three, verse one, they're held to a higher standard. Two, because they're false shepherds who are leading Christ's sheep astray. And Jesus cares about every single one of his sheep. In fact, he said, better a millstone be put around the neck of a false teacher and they be thrown in the sea than rather to deceive, knowingly and intentionally deceive God's people. Here in the text, it says that they are leading whole households astray. And they're doing it for monetary gain. And so Paul brings a lot of energy and he says these people need to be silenced. And those who are following these leaders need to be rebuked. Because a good shepherd is willing to rebuke his sheep in order to save that sheep's life. And we stay in a culture that is very anti-authority. The modern self or the modern man is their own authority because truth is their own reality. That is anti-Christian according to Bible. Every single one of us are people who are under authority. We all are under the authority of Christ. And even pastors are under the authority or should be under the authority of other pastors. I am under the authority of my pastors here. Sometimes I have ideas that I think are good ideas and I get in the room with the other pastors and they graciously redirect me. And I'm thankful for it, amen? (laughs) Because I am a man under authority and I have pastors who are here and who are not here. And, And so if you are sensitive to being rebuked or corrected, you are prideful and arrogant. And God has supplied you with a chief shepherd whose name is Jesus and under shepherds to guide you according to the ways of Christ, which is taught in the scripture. And to be a covenant member of Sojourn Midtown means that you are submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ and the way of Jesus Christ, which is lived out and should be demonstrated through your elders. Now, elders don't always get it right. They're not perfect. And where you think that there is something wrong, there should be conversation. But the Bible calls us uh, to cultivate uh, hearts that um, are following sound teaching and that are following the way of the leaders in which God has provided. So I want to give us some quick application points as we think through uh, this text. And the first is this. Pray for and praise God for godly leaders that's here at this church. Your leaders need your prayer. Uh, Your your leaders need your encouragement. Um, We have been blessed here with, with godly men who are constantly making sacrifices because they um, receive this call to shepherd God's people. And according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it is a noble call and a noble task, and, and you should commit to praying for them. And so my challenge to you this week is to uh, daily to pray for your elders. Uh, last week the challenge was for you to read Titus uh, chapter one, two, and three. It should have took you about seven to 10 minutes um, if you weren't uh, on social media as you were reading. Right. Was I right about it? Was it about that time length? Right. Um, And this week, I want to encourage and challenge you to simply take these characteristics of an elder and to take five or 10 minutes and to pray for your elders. But I also want you to pray for their wives. Pray for their wives. Um, Here currently, we only have elders who are married though an elder uh, does not necessarily have to be married. We have uh, elder in training. We have uh, have had other, other elders um, in training at times who were not married, and we welcome and need godly men who are not married to help lead. But but for those at this current moment, pray for their wives, pray for their children. Pray that their children will grow up not feeling uh, the pressure of being a, a PK kid, but that they would see the gospel lived out in their home and want to follow Jesus themselves. I also want to pause and ask our elders to to stand that are in this service, along with their wives. We've got Pastor Jarvis in the back. Let's praise God for your elders and (laughs) elders' wives. I want to affirm um, these beautiful leaders before you. I have never dreamed of working with um, a team such as this. And though none of the people who are standing are perfect, in fact, we're far from it and we will disappoint you and we may get things wrong um, that, that in a dis- non-disqualifying way, I have confidence in a team that the Lord has assembled here. And I praise God for them. And you should have confidence, because these are people who are holding each other accountable, who are living from the inside out, who are putting one foot forward, and who are leading from their weakness and trusting in Christ's strength. You may be seated. And Hebrews I believe we have this text, chapter 13. Uh, Paul uh, says this, and this is from the message, uh, which is Eugene Peterson's kind of version of what it says. He says this. uh, uh, I said Paul, but the writer of Hebrews, Paul probably did not write Hebrew, says this. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not as drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? And the way in which you contribute to the joy of a leader is simply by abiding in Jesus Christ and allowing Jesus to form you more into his image and we can't do this alone. We do this with the means of grace that Christ has given us, such as his word and prayer, other spiritual disciplines, and, and the people of God. But we, we also do this knowing that God has called us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to be, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Second application that I want to encourage you with, if you could put that on the screen, sister, all I have is my Bible up here, thank you. <laughs> Uh, praise God for beautiful leaders who are non-elders. So Paul says, set in order um, the things that are out of order in Crete by appointing elders, a specific office, men who are qualified to live in this way. But this elders aren't the only leaders in the church. I told you er- earlier that the Bible talks about deacons, and here at Sojourner, we believe that a deacon um, can be um, either a male or a female. In fact, this week, we're going to email out a paper to explain um, why we believe that as we saw female deacons uh, in the scripture. Uh, But deacons are those who are ministers and and they minister through serving. In 1 Timothy chapter three, they have similar qualifications of an elder except they're not responsible for leading the church by setting doctrine and by teaching doctrine. And so we have deacons and leaders in every ministry of our church. And I salute you for stepping in and following Jesus and adorning Jesus uh, through your word and your deeds, um, although, of course, imperfectly. But there's specifically a burden that I have in bringing out this point is because we stay in a day and age and are affiliated, honestly, with a denomination uh, that many times... Uh, silences and even oppresses the voices of a particular type of leader that is in the church. And that is women. Beautiful leadership is also seen in in women being leaders. Though the office of elder or pastor is an office that is uh, a very specific, gender specific, a male, as we see in this text, um, Women can serve in any way in the church that a, a non-ordained man can serve in. And we are, have some of the best women leaders. This is just a few of them here at the church who step in and who lead in incredible, incredible ways. This isn't all of them. This is just a few. These are just the people I had time to get permission from or whose face was on our website, and I can just say it's on the website, right? (laughs) I'm serious. Our church is exponentially better because of the strong leadership of women. And for guys in this church who believe that men, by necessity, are smarter, stronger, (laughs) and more capable, of following Jesus um, just because they are men, I want to let you know your pastors do not believe that. While we believe that there are some distinctions in role, we believe that women are necessary allies and are called to come alongside men to help us because they were made strong and wise by by their God. And so even when we think about the culture that's often created in churches, sometimes people misquote uh, Genesis, which talks about the woman was made for the man as a help meet. And they see that as a derogatory or sometimes a term that is beneath man. And it's it's not. Uh, That term is often used in the Hebrew to speak of God. And it is a a term that speaks of him helping or serving um, Israel. It's a term that was sometimes used in the Hebrew as a a military term, right? And so uh, women are created and they have their own uh, strength and their own uh, beauty. And and the church is the church when we see that beauty and we affirm that and we work together as co-laborers. And if you are mad at me for saying this, I just say, read the New Testament and slow down and read it slowly. On the back of the screen here, we see uh, some verses that I pulled. And in a second, the next slide is going to show some more verses of women whom Paul called co-heirs and co-leaders. And not only that, some of these women were church, uh, were were part of planting churches. So we see... uh, uh, Priscilla, who's also called Prisca in Romans chapter 16, verse three through five. And her name is actually mentioned first uh, before her husband. And it's probably, and it's possible it's because she was further along with her walk in Jesus and maybe had gifts of, of leadership in a specific way. But they, but the church, early church, were meeting in their home. Chloe in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 11, uh, is called to have her own people. And later on in the New Testament had the church gathering in her own And we see uh, more women, you can go to the next slide, who are leading in the church. Lydia helped plant and start the church at Philippi, right? And so um, I wish I had more time to talk about this, uh, but beautiful leadership. While Paul is specific to talk about the leadership of an elder and men here, the New Testament also gives us a beautiful picture of the church flourishing because women are walking in their God-given gifts and leading in the ways that God has called them. Amen? Amen. I've got one more uh, point that I want. uh, Sis, if you could put it up. Thank you so much. I want to praise God for members of our church who have these qualities. Because as we look at these qualities of an elder, the positive qualities that we see starting in verse uh, 5 through verse 9, these are just qualities of people who are spirit-filled. And some of you aren't called to be in a specific uh, role of a leader right now because of your stage of life or just where you are. But I want you to know that every person who is a, a Christian who's seeking to live out their faith um, in some ways are, is a leader. Because if leadership is influenced, we all are called as Christians to influence a culture um, who is not following Jesus, thereby who is not living uh, the most beautiful and abundant version of life that they could be. And so even when you read the qualities of an elder, these are not qualities that we necessarily live up to as much as we live into. As we as we abide in Christ, these become a part of us and not just uh, elders, but these become a part of every single member here. Every single member here, you are called to follow Jesus and to trust that he um, is shaping you to be this type of person and that he wants to use you Uh, to be a light and to disciple people who are living in darkness, who think that they're living their best life, but who does not and cannot live the ultimate version of life without Jesus. Jesus is the most beautiful person. And he is our chief shepherd and the, the one who is the shepherd of our soul. And the more we look to him, the more we trust him, the more we go to him for forgiveness of sin, the more we we, uh, learn about his life and live out of his way, the more beautiful we become, the more beautiful our city can become as they see the church as a city on a hill. So I want to encourage you today to look to Jesus and to trust him and to lean into him so that he can make much of himself through you. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com Midtown.